Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We are your companion on the journey to grow your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've got a free email course on our website, shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course with practical steps on overcoming your fear and anxiety. Thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Shrink Think Podcast. We're excited to kick off a new series that is going to look at the different types of therapy that are out there. We're not going to do a comprehensive list. We just want to do some of the like top, I don't know what we have, like three or so, three, four most popular kinds of uh, psychotherapy that are out there. And then we'll have an episode that kind of runs through some other, they're not fringe by any means. They're popular. They're like tools that people use, maybe even like interventions you might call uh, that therapists might do. If you're a therapist out there and you want to explore some of these, or if you're a person out there who just wants to know about what are some some therapies and approaches and tools that therapists are using and you want to get that information consolidated, then this is the place for you. We want to break these things down for you so that you have a good understanding of what they are, both from an informational level, but also more importantly from a practical level. Because here on the Shrinking Podcast, we don't want to just give you information. We want to break it down of like, how is this useful to your life? So we want to start today with looking at the first of a few different kinds of psychotherapy. And, and I should say, like, there are these big terms, you know, if we're talking with uh, elitist folks, we might say psychotherapy. Um, but to the average person, we just say therapy or counseling. <laughs> that gets confused, I think, for a lot of people. We kind of use some of those interchangeably. There are some, like, minor differences. But what you need to know, I think, is basically that psychotherapy is just like going to counseling, you could say. You might hear psychotherapy or therapy from people who use a different modality, you know, different philosophy or different approach. And you might hear counseling from people who, who use different approaches. So that's all that means. We just want you to kind of know that if you're looking for therapy out there or counseling, you're like, what's the difference? There you go. That one's free. Okay, today we're going to kick off with CBT, which stands for Cognitive Behavior Therapy. So... Nathan, kick us off. What is the definition of CBT? Well, Aaron, the definition of CBT is that cognitive behavioral therapy, the aforementioned CBT, explores the links between thoughts, emotions, and behavior. It is a directive, time-limited, structured approach used to treat a variety of mental health disorders. It aims to alleviate distress by helping patients develop more adaptive, Cognitions and behaviors. Thank you, Dr. Hawkins. (laughs) Can you break this down for those of us who might not have seven PhDs? Ziggy, ziggy, okay, ziggy, okay. I'm breaking it down, baby. (laughs) Maybe a a little bit step up from that. (laughs) I doubt doubt our average uh, rap listener is listening to our podcast, but maybe there are some of you out there that are. (laughs) Okay, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Um, Okay, so... That was funny. There's an inside joke I have with a friend who plays listening to that. So cognitive behavioral therapy really is kind of a reaction to, well, not totally a reaction, but it's 
A long time ago, Sigmund Freud does his thing, right? Everybody knows, or you've heard of Freud, people on television are, uh, make basically when you see therapy on television, a lot of times it's the person sitting on a couch and all this stuff. That whole approach we're actually gonna go over in a, in a later episode, but CBT came about as folks were like, hey, what do we do with stuff? You can't just explore things like indefinitely. People feel bad now, like how are you gonna help them now? And so, they started exploring the relationship between like when you have a when you think about something versus when you feel something and then what you end up doing based on that and people were trying to figure out a way to affect that so they might sit down with you and therapists might sit down and try to understand well, what are you thinking when when this is going like what are you thinking right now that therapist is not going to as a CBT purist meaning because I say that because there's a lot of therapists out there that will do CBT at times. I mean, I do some CBT, but that's not all you do. That's not the only theory that you sit with. But a purist will just say that this person only does CBT. They love it. They love it like a little blanket on a warm and cold day, which makes no sense, but <laughs> Sorry. they love it. I love syrup. Anyway, those folks would look at it like, okay, so what are you thinking right now? Because they're not very interested at all in any kind of history whatsoever. So if I'm if I'm the client and you're asking me like okay so why why are you coming here today you know what do you want to what do you want to do in therapy or what you know what do you want the outcome to be well I have this upbringing and back in the past I um, was left alone in the dark all day long uh, by my parents while they were out fishing and I just remember thinking that. I don't know when they're going to come home, and I was playing with the cat next door, and like... Like, how are you feeling right now? I oh, I'm just feeling confused, like I don't know why they would do that, and... Why do you need to know that? Because it happened, and it's part of my story, and that's the problem of Are you thinking my about it happening right now? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> that's all I can think about. <laughs> mm. So that that's a little bit of what it's like, like... The CBT therapist is sitting there going like, in their mind, I think probably like, I really don't care about your cat. <laughs> it reminds I'm, me of Bob I'm Newhart. Really sorry that it happened, but I don't care. <laughs> I think of like, there's a there's a great YouTube video out there from a, a Bob Newhart, who was a psychologist on television show back in the 70s. And this lady comes in and she goes... She goes, well, and he goes, well, this is only going to be five minutes and it's a dollar a minute and I don't make change. And uh, without doing the whole video, she basically tells him that she's afraid of being buried alive in a box. And he goes, have you, uh, have you ever been uh, in a box before? And she goes, no. And he goes, okay, have you ever been buried? <laughs> she goes, no. And he goes, okay, I have two words for you. And she goes, should I write them down? He goes, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, stop it. <laughs> it's like kind of the same. Anyway, and that's like a really short version of CBT. Like really short. Just don't do that. And But I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like this is kind of some simplistic focus type of situation. There's a, there's a lot of research on CBT. Insurance companies really love it for that reason because they know hey, we'll pay for a therapist to use CBT to treat somebody that has insurance with us because we know that it works. I mean, you, you it's verified. There's all kinds of validation behind you come in with some issues, use CBT, and then you get done and you are different. There's things that you're doing that are different. 
Yeah, it's the, it's definitely like outcome based. I wouldn't say it's solution focused, but definitely it produces outcome. But I guess what I'll say on that, and that's, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I do want to say that with all these different kinds of therapies, these different approaches, they have definitely different focus. Foci, I guess would be the word. <laughs> the plural of focuses. Because some of them, like, for example, when we get into psychodynamic, that's going to look at the past. It's looking at, you know, very much what happened, your story, the whole lifespan of your life or the, the span of your life. CBT is looking at the problems that you have, like your thinking and your actions. Rational, emotive behavioral therapy is similar. REBT, it's similar to CBT in a way that it's definitely looking at, like, what are the problems going on and what do we do about that? But it's not necessarily solution-focused. There is another therapy out there that's called solution-focused brief therapy. In that, in it's kind of a response to CBT that was looking at, okay, if we're if CBT is looking so much at the problem... Sure, there can be changes and outcomes that happen, but it's also too much focused on like the negative. Let's kind of be more positive, not just like thinking positively, but what can we do about it? Okay, this is happening, this is negative, but what can we do about it? So more of an emphasis on that positive. That's not quite CBT, although there there is some of that that happens, like what do we do about our problems, but definitely is more problem focused in terms of looking looking for and combing through your thoughts, your beliefs, your actions and making sure those all line up and they're consistent. Yeah. So I really want folks to know that the other side of this coin that's really cool about CBT is that it's intentionally collaborative. So it's really trying to get the client to understand and know and essentially be their own therapist, to understand the unhelpful ways that are or faulty ways that they're thinking and to understand the pattern of the kind of behavior that is problematic. So they will they will look at behavior pattern. They're just not concerned with like, oh, because you were in a dark closet when you were four, it's contributing to this now. They don't really care about why you're feeling that way. And, and that is helpful. I, I mean, just this week, seeing clients, uh, some people have this idea that, okay, so I I see what's going on. Man, where did that come from? Like, I wonder why that is, whether it's a curiosity or they feel like there's some deeper problem or whatever. Even just this week, I remember saying this to people like, oh, okay, so you're having these thoughts or these beliefs going on, these these actions right now. And I remember this one guy was like, yeah, I wonder where that came from. And I was like, I don't, let's not let, let's not let that matter right now. Let's not go into where that came from because, because you're experiencing stuff right now and you're needing some relief for that. So let's just focus on the fact that you are thinking these things, feeling these things, and doing these things, and let's look at what do we need to do about them. We can worry about where it came from or explore all that later when you're, we're on the other side of this issue and you're feeling better. Right, and the whole part of feeling better has to do with, maybe some of you out there have heard of this word coping strategies, like or ways to cope. That whole thing came from CBT. And so the fact that you even know what that is, is, is the, the influence that CBT has over the therapeutic world, well, like all over the world. And what the idea is, is if you can learn different ways to cope with the stress that you have in life, and you can, you can repeat that, you can figure out, you can do that on your own. So folks that this might be really helpful for are people that maybe are in your head a lot, and you're just tired of it. You're trying to figure out how to get out of there. And another situation would be like, you know, you are, it's not maybe anxiety or depression, maybe nothing specific that you can identify, but you are just done with it. 
like you don't care really how you feel. Meaning like it doesn't matter to me. Maybe you might say to yourself, it doesn't matter to me like why this happened. I just need to stop feeling this way. This is horrible. Or maybe you're a person who needs more of a practical tool. You need to kind of know, oh, I have like there's some cognitive distortions, for example. And maybe for you, it would be helpful to know like, oh, that what I'm thinking right now is a cognitive distortion. I'm thinking in such a way like all or nothing thinking would be one cognitive distortion or overgeneralization, meaning that like with all or nothing, you're looking at things in absolute black and white categories. You know, and if you start to realize like, oh, I'm doing that, then you can know like, well, that's a problem. Like it's not going to be helpful to do that. So you can stop thinking like that and then start to switch it to a different direction. Yeah, and that's where it becomes extremely practical. And and even though I'd say, Nathan, you and I don't, we're not CBT purists by any means. We do a lot of trauma work. We do a lot of emotion-focused work. That kind of stuff does look at the body and the emotions. It looks at the past and where it came from because from our neurobiological standpoint, all that kind of stuff is linked to stuff in the past, and it's important to know that stuff in the work that we do with those particular clients. But CBT can be really, really helpful, and we'll all often use these tools because, for example, when you're talking about all or nothing thinking, if somebody is saying, you know, I'm looking at some actions that somebody is doing and they're, they're saying, oh, I did this and I'm just stuck in it, or they have a relationship where somebody did something and they responded in this kind of extreme way and it's creating problems in their life, well, we can trace some of that at least back to this all or nothing thinking. So if, if we can identify that and say, wow, it really sounds like you're just looking at this black and white, people are all good or all bad. So if somebody is doing something good, then you're happy with them and you're feeling fine and you're okay. But if they do something that upsets you or that you don't like, all of a sudden like, oh, it's everything's all bad. And it's like, well, that's not actually true. That's not looking at the nuances of life and it's not even being realistic about yourself because you might make some choices that you regret and maybe even you didn't even realize you were doing those and they had a negative impact. Well, that doesn't mean you are all bad. It doesn't mean that it's the end of the world that this bad thing happened. So this extreme characterization of the situation or of another person using this cognitive distortion is oftentimes creating a really bad scenario for, for people. So looking at that and beginning to change it, adding some nuance to things or saying, okay, so just because this thing happened doesn't mean it's the end of the world. We can still be friends or <laughs> you don't have to be dead to me just because you disagreed with where we wanted to go to get ice cream, you know, that sort of thing. Like you can actually introduce a whole lot more freedom and safety into your, your life and your relationships just by by kind of pulling the pin from these cognitive distortions. One other way to consider, one other thing to consider about CBT as far as who is it for out there, if you're trying to think of like, I don't know, now that you, you know, Aaron's talked about what psychotherapy is and maybe you've, maybe you're listening to this because you saw the title of it and you wanted to know a little bit more about what CBT is. Another piece of CBT, oftentimes therapists in that situation are more teachy they're more teachers they're so there's more learning that kind of goes on with cbt and i say that because there's other therapies that are they don't intend on teaching you anything all they're doing is trying to to help you re-experience a moment that's this whole gestalt which we're not going to get into but i'm just my point is if you go to a therapist who's a purist in this way likely you're going to be taught something you're also probably going to be given homework something to do when you go home but you know and that's just a little thing i want to 
sneak in on. If you think back in the past to where therapy came from with Freud and what you're hearing, like <laughs> you're just a common Joe and you hear like, oh yeah, I went to my therapist and what happened? Oh, I talked. What did he say? Uh, he did, they don't say anything, man. Nothing. He didn't say anything. He just was taking notes <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn? No, not, I didn't learn anything, man. I was just chilling or whatever. <laughs> I realized some things about myself. <laughs> Through talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, and by the way, we are, we, it, it's kind of a psychodynamic approach for sure. And we'll get into that next time, which we do. So we can make fun of it. But it does have like this drawback of like, and how long have you been going to this therapist? <laughs> right, For what? seven years. <laughs> Weekly. <laughs> yes. All the time. Yeah. So my point is, you're, if you're hearing that all the time and you're interested in becoming a therapist, you're going to think like, man, people need to be able to learn something and grow and change. And so you can see kind of CBT being born out of this, that environment and going like, let's get somewhere with people and let's help them to feel better fast. So they don't have to like deal with this stuff indefinitely because really right now, the only reason why they're doing this is because X, Y, Z, you know, and they really are just discounting the positives. You know, that's another cognitive distortion and they can just understand how to not do that and to focus being able to allow for positives to be there and not just to get rid of them, then probably they would be less depressed. They might be able to like be a little bit more happy in life rather than focusing all the, on all the negatives all the time. So it's a pretty cool treatment. And there, I think probably in reality, I think probably all therapists out there to some extent do some CBT. I mean, if you really think about the fact that the whole entire idea of homework came from CBT, I mean, like the whole, the whole idea of taking something home and then trying to learn something and be different and come back is a very is a very cognitive behavioral approach. Yeah, and if you think about just on a basic level also, what I always describe like what what does a person consist of? They've got thoughts, they've got emotions, they've got actions. Right? CBT is looking at the thoughts and the actions of a person, like kind of two of the three basic things that make us people. And so it's kind of impossible not to look at, well what were you thinking before that happened or what thought or belief motivated you to do that thing, which is that this is exactly what CBT is looking at. So whether you are a CBT purist or you subscribe to CBT or not, in many ways, if you're even if you're you know a therapist who does something completely different, it's almost impossible not to look at the thoughts and the actions of somebody because that's what constitutes a person. Right. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Just, that, was, that, that is a person. Thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> I'm just thinking when you said that, like, yes, that's exactly right. And I and went, plus I was I was looking a little bit over at the cognitive distortion list that we have here. And when you said emotions, I was thinking they do kind of look at emotions. And I was like, nah, they, they kind of do. Yeah, I actually want to go through the list of cognitive distortions. And I think there's, as I was looking over these also, I think going back to what we said earlier about CBT does not really care about the why or where it comes from. And as I go through this list of cognitive distortions, I naturally want to understand why and I want to explain like where that comes from. And you'll see where that might be helpful. And, and some of you, as you're listening, it would be a good sort of test for you to decide which one of these resonates with you most? Do you not really care why? Or as I go into the why, are you like, oh yeah, that makes me think of this and this and 
oh man, I want to explore that. Because if, if that's the direction you go, then you're probably more of an insight-based person and you enjoy learning about yourself and the why and where it comes from. And in that case, CBT might not be for you. Although I would say for some people who, <laughs> you know, we're joking about Freud being this whole guy that, you know, lay on the couch and just talk about your life and your dreams and free associate for seven years every week and not get anywhere. Well, in some ways, we can do that to ourselves. Some, some of you out there are that way. You think in circles or you just feel and you don't really get anywhere. And there's nothing wrong with what you're thinking and feeling necessarily. It's that it doesn't really go anywhere. You don't have something to challenge it. And so somebody like a CBT therapist could actually be really helpful for you because there's a certain level of accountability that comes from CBT that can be really helpful. Like, okay, I don't really care where that's coming from. This is what you're doing. We need to change that. One thing before you start your list, Aaron, is that um, if you are insight-based, you can often, as you might already know, get yourself in a gigantic circle exactly. in which you don't know anything. Like You haven't changed. You look back at your life over the last two years, and you have always been going to do this, whatever the this is. Yeah, I really need to work on that. And if you look like, hey, when did I say... Oh, that was pre-pandemic, which is a huge bookmark now, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> and then you're like... Holy mackerel, that's been over a year. So I would encourage you that like the one CBT has a way of holding you accountable to change. And on the other side of the aisle, if you really resonate with this, I mean, you're more of a person like I off the top of my head, I'm thinking of somebody that might be like an engineer, somebody that already has a tendency to be very black and white. I would say after you really kind of get somewhere with CBT, you probably do need to explore some of the insight base things, but that, that needs to come secondary because there, it is important as to where stuff comes from, I think, but oftentimes in the moment, you just need to get a handle on stuff and be different. Yeah, exactly. Let me go over this list of cognitive distortions and I'll, there's one particular, uh, and I may do this with some of the other ones, but just briefly, one of them, I know there's a reason why this happens that's common for people that is important that I think in a lot of ways CBT might miss. And like what you just said, Nathan, about being an engineer and changing some of these things or just being a very practical person, changing some of those things can be really helpful. But then there's this whole underlying thing that might be going on that you need to address because sometimes what will happen is people will make changes that are very practical and they're change of thinking. But then that thing underneath that CBT doesn't really address pops up again somewhere else in their life. And then they come back to therapy. They you know reach out and they call or they email and they're saying, hey, it's been several years and um, you really helped me before. Now this issue is popping up over here. You know, I don't really understand why it is. And oftentimes it's that underlying thing. So let me go through this list really quickly. This is just something that's pulled from David Burns. He's got a great book that's called The Feeling Good Handbook. It's been out for, I don't know, 50 years or so. He's, I mean, he's amazing. He's great, very useful, very practical. But this list of cognitive distortions, uh, there's 10 items on it. And you can, as you're listening, determine, is this something that resonates with me? Do I do this or not? One, all or nothing thinking. As you mentioned, Nathan, this is looking at things in absolute black or white categories. Two, overgeneralization, which means you view a negative event as a never-ending pattern of defeat. So you lose one game and you're like, we're never going to win any games. I'm like, this is the first game of the season. Like, there's lots of room for growth. Number three, mental filter, which means you dwell on the negatives and ignore the positives. This would be, I guess, looking at 
okay, maybe we did lose a game, but maybe we played really well as a team and the other team was just better than us. But we have a lot to be proud of because we improved on several things as a team that we needed to improve on. So mental filter would keep that positive stuff out. Discounting the positives is number four. And that means you insist that your accomplishments or positive qualities don't count. Well, that was just because of this, or yeah, that was just a mistake, or wow, that was just a coincidence that this happened. As opposed to maybe that's actually a skill that you have, or it's a trait, something that's positive about you that, that produced that. Number five, jumping to conclusions. And there are a couple of different kinds of jumping to conclusions. And by the way, for all you George Costanza, f oh, no, no, this uh, this was from Office Space. That's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> jump to conclusions, man. Just jump to conclusions, man. <laughs> jump it's to conclusions. Yeah. Where you jump and you find your conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's about as pointless as <laughs> that game. There are a couple of, uh, of jumping to conclusions. One is mind reading. The other is fortune telling. And it's just what they sound like. Mind reading is assuming that people are reacting negatively to you when there's no evidence for it. It's like, oh, you just did that because of this reason. I, I know that you were thinking this or you did this because of that reason. Like, well, you don't know that. You're just making an assumption. That would be jumping to the conclusion based on reading a mind. Or fortune telling. You arbitrarily predict things will turn out badly. I know that you're probably going to do this, and if I say this, I, there's no way I'm going to do this thing because I know you're just going to do that. Well, how do you know that? Again, it's an assumption. It's not just reading your mind, but it's assuming that you're going to operate from a certain pattern of behavior that's negative. Number six, magnification or minimization. You blow things way out of proportion or you shrink their importance inappropriately. And obviously these are all negative. It's not like <laughs> it's not like grandiosity where you're magnifying your importance, right? Like I'm so amazing. Like <laughs> that's a different kind of a problem. But magnification would be blowing something up and making a bigger deal out of it than it needs to be like forgetting to send an email on Monday morning about something. Oh, no, it's terrible. Everyone's going to hate me. My boss is going to fire me. And it's like, well, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, if you think through the implications of not sending that email, I mean, yeah, maybe they're going to be upset with you, but it functionally doesn't affect anything. You can still send it. I mean, it's like 10 a.m., you know, and it's still going out today. There's still time. Okay, it's not a big deal. Or minimization, shrinking something's importance inappropriately. I'm trying to think what what that one would be. Do you know? You, you know, um, that one oftentimes um, can come through normalizing something. So like that shouldn't be normalized, right? Right. It's like not normal. You know, like like that person just beat me up. Oh well, yeah. Well, that kind of that neighborhood's known for you know. Anyway, did you want to go get a hot dog? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So there's minimization. <laughs> Emotional reasoning is number seven, and this is reasoning from how you feel. So this is the one that when I point this out to people and they ask, why does this one happen? I do like to go into the explanation because oftentimes it's emotions that get out of control. So emotion... Emotional reasoning is reasoning from how you feel. For example, I feel like an idiot, so I must really be one. Or I don't feel like doing this, so I'll put it, put it off. It's letting your emotions take over and kind of define who you are and what the reality is around you. And I think this one in particular right now in our society is happening a ton. 
people feel something, your subjective experience is like your truth or your reality. As the, and I don't like that phrasing because like, no, there's only one truth and there's only one reality that's going on. We can experience it differently. We can see things from a different perspective, but that just means we're seeing reality from a different perspective, but it's still real. So this emotional reasoning is saying, I feel this way. And so therefore that's what is happening. That's not true. That, that's not true all the time. Just because I feel like you hate me doesn't mean you do. You might be disappointed um, at what happened, but you still care about me and you still want to be friends with me. That emotional reasoning doesn't let that happen. You know, one other thing, I <clears throat> I didn't want to let the minimization go too much just because like that was one example where I was minimizing someone else, right? I'm minimizing another person's experience. experience. How you might do that to yourself Unfortunately, only ideas I can have are more extreme um, to make this make more sense. Like if you had been abused as a child or like something that's really nasty, which honestly, you're not alone. I mean, I think the statistic now is like one in four, maybe even worse than that. And then you say to yourself like, oh, that's no big deal. Like I should feel okay. I should be fine. But there's a lot of bad stuff that happened, man. Or another one that I hear from people is like, oh, well, it wasn't as bad as such and such or... I mean, we, you know, we used to say like, oh, there's, but there are starving children in Africa. <laughs> right, um, right. It's like that idea, like, well, I may have had it bad, but there's always someone that's had it worse off than me. So my experience is minimized. Right. And you're discounting yourself, really. Maybe we delete this, but <laughs> this all or nothing thinking and also the feeling, the personalization and uh, blame, labeling. You can look at the entire culture right now struggling with all that with racism. I mean, the whole the whole idea, racism in general really is all or nothing thinking. It's like, oh, all this is this for that reason, just because of the color of somebody's skin and that's it. Right, exactly. It's And it's like jumping to conclusions also like, oh, you're going to do this because I'm assuming something about you. And in a way, you're kind of putting some of these together as like, okay, when you take this building block and that building block or this ingredient and that ingredient and you put them together and then you light it, what do you get? A massive explosion, right? And that's how people's lives blow up. So let me keep going. There's a few left. I talked about emotional reasoning. Number seven, eight is should statements. It's criticizing yourself or other people with should or shouldn'ts, must, oughts, have tos. This is like, well, it rather than I want to or I need to or it's important to me. It's like, no, we should do this or you should do that or why why didn't that person do this? They should have blank. Again, it's kind of an example of like concrete or all or nothing all or nothing thinking. Then there's labeling, number nine, like you mentioned, it's identifying with your shortcomings. Instead of saying like the behavior of I made a mistake, you tell yourself, I'm a jerk, I'm a fool, I'm a loser. And because it's who I am, there's nothing I can do about it. That's why it's so self-defeating is because if you are a jerk, well, then you have to do all the things that a jerk does. There's nothing you can do about it. Good luck trying to change it. All you can do is kind of minimize it or like contain it a little bit like the Hulk. You can just try not to be so angry, but you're still doing damage along the way. (laughs) And you're green. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. You have bigger problems, my friend. (laughs) Lastly, you've got the number 10, personalization and blame. You blame yourself for something you weren't entirely responsible for, or you blame other people and overlook ways that your own attitudes and behavior might contribute to a a problem. So this would be, for example, you know, somebody who you're talking about, somebody who was abused, they're like, well, I was a tough kid. You know, I got into trouble a lot. And 
as I unpack those kinds of things, particularly with trauma, for example, there's usually a lot of your parents were garbage, man. You know, like they didn't see who you were, who you were. They didn't like give you space to be a kid. They got mad at you for doing normal kid things. That was not your fault because you were, you know, running around and excited to do something or you couldn't sit still for four hours. Like you got in trouble. Like that's not that's not normal. Like that's not okay, right? And you've internalized it as something is wrong with you and you've blamed yourself when in reality it's like, no, actually there was some legitimate abuse going on here. That happens a lot. Or the other one would be the opposite. And this one I would say it's really tricky because it's blaming everybody else for your problems when, sorry buddy, it might actually be you. You might have a major contribution to these problems in your life and you're just not willing to look at it because you're busy blaming other people. And that happens in the way of victimization. So like like essentially being a victim, you end up staying exactly where you're at and unchanging because you, you know, well, life just happens to you. It's everybody's fault. Like if they win the blah, blah, then I wouldn't be yada yaing. Like I would have been here sooner, but what happened was this happened. It takes away your own influence in your own life. You have no influence over your own self because everything coming upon you is greater than your own. So on the one hand, it might make you feel better to know like, well, I wouldn't have done that. I'm not a bad person because it's just that that person, everybody believes I'm a bad person or whatever. Like, well, that's not actually true. Well, then why do I feel this way? <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at your thoughts going into that and the beliefs behind it and the actions coming out of it. <laughs> that's what CBT would do. No, I mean, there's plenty of compassion that I think can come with that. But overall, I guess we, we wanted to give you an experience of CBT a little bit here. I know it's getting into the weeds a little bit with these cognitive distortions, but I wanted to give you something practical that was a tool that um, you could see like, okay, what is CBT? What does it look like? How might I interact with it? And this stuff also, I wanted you to be able to have something you can walk away with like, oh, that's really helpful to me. I might want to look at you know, how I'm thinking about my own life. Do Am I overgeneralizing? Am I emotional reasoning? But that also kind of brings us back to that point that you mentioned earlier, Nathan, which is the whole, one of the big things about CBT is we want you, the client, to be your own therapist, to know these things about yourself, to grab these tools, to understand how you're thinking and why you're doing some of the things you're doing and start to change them for yourself. One of the other pieces of this, as far as not new pieces or whatever, but something to be aware of and kind of, you know, interested in, there's a lot of folks out there that don't want to do therapy. They don't. I'm, I would, I don't, I don't, but I no longer would say most. I think that there's, but there's just a, a group of folks that don't. If you go to a CBT therapist, they are motivated to get you out. They, they are not, they are going to be struggling inside their own self if you're still there for a long period of time because they'll be thinking, how do you, how have I not taught you this right? Like, how do you not know this? I've been trying to teach you and now you're still here. Um, so they're pretty motivated to get you out of there. And that's kind of a helpful thing to know going in that like, okay, this per this therapist has no intention of keeping me around for like a long time. Yeah. And, and so if that's you, if that's the kind of person that you are, that can be extremely helpful. I know, I know some folks, I'll wrap up the episode here. Some folks, when they're coming in, will ask the question, you know, how long do you think that therapy or counseling should take and some people are like as long as it takes I don't care you know whatever and and other people are like three to four months or something like that 
And some of that is like you have your own expectations, whether they're realistic or not. But some people really do just, I want to get in, I want to do the work, I want to change some of these things, and I want to get out of there. That's great. If that's you, then CBT is probably going to be a good fit for you. So overall, as we kind of zoom out and close up this episode, we're going to touch on a couple of other uh, approaches. Next time, we'll talk about psychodynamic therapy, which is in stark contrast to CBT. You know, we've been kind of making fun of Freud and stuff, but uh, psychodynamic is something that is very different from CBT, and we want to give you an experience next time of what that's like and how it, in a lot of ways, fills, or I should say it's the other way around, how CBT kind of fills in the holes of what psychodynamic did not do. Um, But we're starting with CBT because it's so practical, rather than starting with the abstract, you know, psychodynamic and like, wow, I don't even want to go to therapy at all. (laughs) That psychodynamic can, I think, make you feel that way, especially this day and age. While you millennials are like, wow, like, is that really what therapy is? No wonder. And then you would not tune into the rest of the episodes. So we hope this would be really practical for you. Well, we thank you for joining us and we hope that you learned a lot. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening.